You're listening to the Unitarian Universalist Church of Lexington podcast. Take a moment to center yourself in this space and enjoy this week's sermon. Our reading today, appropriately, playfully, (laughs) is called 20 Questions by Jim Moore. Did I forget to look at the sky this morning when I first woke up? Did I miss the willow tree? The white gravel road that goes up from the cemetery, but to where? And the abandoned house on the hill, did it get even a moment? Did I notice the small clouds so slowly moving away? And did I think of the right hand of God? What if it is a slow cloud descending on earth as rain, as snow, as shade? Don't you think that I should move on to the mop? How it just sits there too often unused? And the stolen rose on its stem, why would I write a poem without one? Wouldn't it be wrong not to mention joy? Sadness, its sleepy-eyed twin. If I caught the boat to Bekonos that time when I was 19, Would the moon have risen out of the sea and shone on my life so clearly that I would have loved it just as it was? Is the boat still in the harbor, pointing in the direction of the open sea? Am I still 19? Going in, going out. Can I let the tide make of me what it must? Did I ask that question already? That was 20 questions by Jim Moore. I invite you now. You got a little slip of paper when you came in if you wanted to participate. And as the joke goes, every year when we've done this, the sacred pencils, uh, you have them. They're fancy this year with erasers. Please write down your question, whatever it might be and uh, the ushers will be around to collect them. I always enjoy this service. Ah, okay. Lovely. (laughs) So I'll pick randomly. I always enjoy the questions that people offer. Um, So yeah, this is great. This is fun. We haven't done this in person in over two years. Now, for those of you online, fear not, because if you have questions in the chat, there are, and I will cheat for a minute and look, colored pieces of paper in here that if I draw one, I'll take a question from you. So um, it'll hopefully be as random as possible. Our first question, wow, okay, what's your take on the afterlife? (laughs) 
Yeah. What's your take on the afterlife? That's interesting, because I haven't been asked that in a very long time. Um, my take on the afterlife, um, it's, it's very agnostic. It's middle of the road. Of course, I tend to be a middle of the road person. I do not know what happens for sure. But I do know that all the atoms and particles and molecules that are a part of my body continue on in this universe in some way, shape, or form. That they'll continue on on this planet in some way. That when the sun expands and consumes this planet, they'll continue on out in the universe in some way. And depending on what happens, billions of years into the future, when the universe perhaps slows down, perhaps cools down completely and stops expanding, or some people theorize the big crunch or the great, yeah, it just will come back and start over. That's what the, some Buddhists believe, is that the universe continues to expand and go back, expand, go back. Whatever happens, I know that the molecules of all of us in this room, it may not always be the same, right? It may not be Brian, <laughs> the UU minister in Lexington, Kentucky. <laughs> but they'll still be there in some way. That's kind of comforting for me. Now, if I get to the end of my life and phew, there is a giant throne before me, I'll go, where have you been? <laughs> There's a lot going on on this planet. <laughs> um, and yet, I'm open to mystery and wonder and surprise in my religious life. And so, you'll rarely hear me go, this is it, 100%. And I know that's comforting for some people. That's okay. That's great. That's, that's okay. Um, but I'm open to mystery. Okay. What is your favorite restaurant? Oh, okay. <laughs> I usually get what is your favorite cookie, and it's, usually, it's still snickerdoodles. Um, so <laughs> what's your favorite restaurant? Um, that's pretty open. Um, hmm. I'd say in Lexington, if I had to pick somewhere to go back, it'd probably be Coeur Lima downtown. Yeah, they're really good. Yeah, they're good. Um, if it was at home in Chicago, my hometown of Chicago, um, it would be Maya del Sol, which is kind of a pan-South American, Latin American, um, just lovely restaurant that is amazing in Oak Park, Illinois. And some of you have been there, I know, when you've gone to Chicago. So there's your recommendation. What are your hopes and wishes for UUCL this church year? That's an awesome question. Um, what are your hopes and wishes for UUCL this church year? We are emerging from two years that were really hard for a lot of people in a variety of ways, right? And for a church community, we were resilient through it. Um, it may not feel that way, but we got through this pandemic in ways that other church communities didn't. And so I feel very fortunate to be here. Uh, with all of you, that our staff are still with us, that you are all co still coming, that this beautiful, wonderful place is still here. That's important because some churches aren't around anymore. My greatest hopes for this coming church year at UUCL, for not just our board, not just our staff, but for every single one of us, is to imagine church anew. Some things that we were doing may not come back. 
yet or ever. And so how can we continue to build community anew? How can we strengthen how we care for one another as a community? Because that's what really matters right now. I'm not going to read the news to you this morning. You know what's happening in the world. We need a community such as this more than ever. And so let's strengthen those connections and bonds with one another. Now that's like, oh, that's way up there. That's wonderful. Great. (laughs) What that means is (laughs) get ready to care for one another, right? You're all on the caring team. Congratulations. Um, Get ready to participate in ways that maybe might make you a little uncomfortable, right? If you're like, I don't want to share my opinions about this, share your opinions about it. We are imagining religious exploration anew in this congregation. The board is imagining what it is like for a community to come out of the pandemic and how do we do things differently, right? So this is what we are called to do as a community. (laughs) What do you miss most about being a teenager? (laughs) There's a little preface to this because when I came here, I remember I saw pictures online of the posters and stuff of this minister is so young, what do we do? <laughs> and now I'm pushing 40 and I'm like, oh man. Um, to many of you, I'm still the young minister and that's great. Um, but I'm really starting to feel it. I'm like, I'm middle-aged almost, or really, depending on who you ask, right? Um, wow. I think I went out of the house the other day to walk the dog and everything about me was mismatched and I didn't care. <laughs> And I realized I'm there. (laughs) All of it, all of it. I was just like, I don't care. Uh, I think I miss the hopeful urgency that I had as a teenager, right? I don't miss the other side of it, which happened every other second, right? The hopeful urgency and then burn it all down, right? I don't miss that part but I miss that hopeful urgency of we're gonna get this done. Imagine, imagine, imagine. We can, you know, I still wanna do that, right? But then I have this running newsfeed of, okay, and if, but also this, that, this, that. Maybe we'll get there one day. <laughs> That's what I miss the most. And being able to eat anything in the world and it won't affect me. <laughs> I could eat chili peppers like nobody's business. What is the most difficult issue you had to deal with since ministering in Lexington? Well, does anything beat the pandemic? (laughs) Um, Hmm, I think it was that, right? But it was so much more than just going, oh, COVID, COVID, COVID. It was wondering and fearing, will we still be here, right? and then, of course, the question, and the staff, the UUCL staff will know this, is constantly being bogged down with the question, is it enough? And having to make peace with, is it enough? And going, yes, it is enough, right? And um, that's the hardest. And then also knowing people were isolated and there was very little we could do um, other than singing outside of windows sometimes. Um, that if we weren't connecting online, it was really hard to connect with some people, uh, especially in the early days when connecting could mean endangering someone, when there was no masks, there was nothing. Remember, you remember that, right? Let's think back. It was hard to get a mask, right? So, yeah. 
Oh, I got purple. <laughs> Diana, I need an online question from you. <clears throat> I can trot on over. Can a loving God exist in the same universe as Auschwitz? Oh. Wow. <laughs> Good question. <laughs> um, so I think that here's, here's where we need... If, so, a lot of you do believe in God, right? That's, and it, it might be a different understanding of God than some other religious traditions. Um, that question itself, where we need to go with it is, how do we understand what a loving God is? Is a loving God one that is going to micromanage our lives and direct every single moment? Or is a loving God going to give us freedom? Is a loving God still going to reconcile all things unto God in the end? And that's what our universalist heritage teaches us. If you are interested and you happen to affirm a, a supreme God of some sort, uh, universalism teaches us that we have unbridled freedom, and that is an act of love. And yet, all things will be reconciled in the end. That isn't completely satisfying, right? That's also what leads to the questions of the problem of evil. You want to rip your hair out, take a problem of evil class. Because um, there's no satisfying answer. There's no satisfying answer. And so how do you understand that God? I would throw that question back at you. Um, and is all things being reconciled enough to, re to, to, to believe that? Personally? <laughs> I have to imagine what, what, what that God would look like. I don't think I know, and I think I'm okay not knowing and not answering that. Yeah. Blank. I like that. Thank you. <laughs> easy. That was an easy one. What are your thoughts on the future of Unitarian Universalism as many denominations are dying? You use used to believe we were immune from the Protestant decline. <laughs> Not. <laughs> but what we're finding, and when I say we, I don't know, there hasn't been data published in a while, so maybe, maybe I'm wrong now, is that the churches that are mid-size and larger are growing a little, but we have a lot of smaller congregations that are struggling. And some have closed, and more will close. That's the reality. However, there are still more UUs in the world than there are members of UU congregations. And the piece that I know a lot of people have made, and I encourage you to think about this, is isn't it worth it if our values are out there? That people care about our values, are doing something to work for our values, to imagine a better world. I think a community like this will exist in some way, shape, or form. It may not have the same name. It may not have clergy or boards or, I'm sorry, Sally, music directors. Or <laughs> um, it may not have chalices or candles. It may not have all the things that we're used to down the line, but communities that care about our values will still exist in some way, shape, or form. And the invitation for us is not to despair at the Protestant decline. Some congregations, some denominations are despairing. And you know what they've done? They've closed the ranks even tighter. Some denominations this year, their argument at their yearly gathering was, do we allow the non-baptized to get communion? You are shrinking by leaps and bounds. And that was what you debated. That's what you debated. Not 
how do we survive this? How do we imagine church and faith anew? But let's exclude someone. Let's exclude someone else and someone else. So I've been proud of you use nationally and locally because we're imagining things differently. How do we cast that net and circle wider and wider and also do some of that hard work that we're called to do? Woo! I love this. Purple. <laughs> Yes. Oh, that's a good question. Oh, I went to seminary when they were still teaching that. Is the minister the CEO of the church? <laughs> I went to seminary when they were still teaching the minister is the CEO of the church. I don't believe that to be true. Now, I handle a lot of the administrative tasks that a CEO would, right? Um, I handle a lot of the staff evaluations and supervision. Um, I think I'm an okay boss to work for. <laughs> you don't have to answer that. Okay. <laughs> um, all the requests that we get week after week from people outside of our community usually come through me in some way. Um, I don't think boards should be debating what kind of light bulb we should get that as long as we have a guideline of eco-friendly, great, we'll replace it, that's wonderful. The board should look at mission and vision. So those are kind of somewhat CEO duties for a small nonprofit organization. However, we are congregationalists, and that's where I think I am not the CEO. Congratulations, you are all the CEOs. Mm. Can you imagine a room full of CEOs just duking it out at Google or Apple or something? Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> I would let go of the CEO title for ministers, for congregations, and instead lean into something collaborative and shared and also sustainable, right? Um, so that's a long answer to a pretty simple question, but yeah, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with that. What do you use do with the concept of sin and redemption? It's not like we, what do you use do with the concept of sin and redemption? It's not like we do wrong. What's UU confession look like? <laughs> the former Catholics in the room, please join with me. Oh my God, I am so heartily sorry for having offended thee. Um, the act of contrition. <laughs> um, sin and redemption. I tend to go with, and it might depend on the minister or the community, but I tend to really go... Uh, a lot ally myself with the Jewish conception of sin and redemption, which all has to do with brokenness and repair, right? We do things to break this world, to break relationships with one another. When you think of it, it's all about relationship, our relationship with the natural world, our relationship with, goodness, politics, politicians, our neighbor that is flying a flag or sign that perhaps we don't like this morning, with each other in this community, that's why I say we're seeking the beloved. It's not always completely beloved. We, we have broken relationships in this room right now, right? We are called to repair those relationships. That would be our sin and redemption model or sin and salvation is we see there's brokenness and we're called to repair. Now confession comes in. What does confession look like? Confession is how we hold one another and others accountable, right? Now, sometimes people go, oh, you're universalist, great, so Hitler gets a pass, right? I always get that, right? Um, 
What does it look like to hold evildoers in our world accountable? What does it look like to hold ourselves accountable, whether we committed acts of evil or acts of brokenness or acts of whatever it might be that harmed relationships? Accountability is our confession. And uh, I like that model a lot better than three Hail Marys and two rosaries, right? Um, And yet, I see value in that because the Catholics in my family felt inspired to do good, many of them, after that act of confession. And I think that was an accountability toward their idea of God. For you use its accountability to the community, to the promises, the covenants that we make with one another. I love that. That's really great. How how much time do we have? I could go all day, so that's where we, you got to cut me off. What's your favorite food? Ooh, anything maple flavored? There's a TV show on Netflix called Sweet Tooth, and it's a sci-fi show, and the little kid in it just drinks maple syrup from a gallon, and I'm like, I could do that. I could do that. Maple is just, oh, maple, maple, maple. (laughs) Do I still follow cricket? (laughs) So I love cricket, uh, the sport, Um, not the wireless company or... The the creature's cool, but cricket the sport. Um, I don't subscribe to Willow TV, which is the best way to get cricket in the United States now. And so I am behind on cricket, I'm sad to say. And however, exciting news, there are cricket stadiums being built across the country and an American cricket league that's launching this year. So that is, now you know, now you know. I don't have a team yet though, so I'll still root for England. Um... (laughs) Or Australia. I'm a fair weather. <laughs> fair weather. If you were alone on a deserted island, what are the five things that you would have with you to nourish your soul? Oh. Oh. Maple syrup. No. <laughs> and a cricket bat. Um. <laughs> five things. Wow. Wow. I, I'm just really thinking of... Of course, I go to books, and that's like a UU thing, right? Um, stereotypical UU thing, I should say. I don't need to be that. Um, hmm. I would probably have a volume of poetry that I really love. That would get me through. That'd be one thing. And then four other volumes of poetry to get me through. <laughs> but a volume of poetry um, to begin. I don't know what poet. Right now, I'm on a Charles Wright kick and an Arthur Rimbaud kick. But Arthur Rimbaud wouldn't be good on a deserted island. He's kind of bleak as a French poet. Um, But I would pick some collection of poetry to bring with me. I'd probably have a book of what we might call sacred scripture of some some type. I engage it through a naturalist, rational lens, and yet I find it, all these books of scripture that we have in this world of ours, whether it's the Quran or it's the Bible or something else, it's human beings trying to figure things out and that's what inspires me, right? And they're telling stories, which is great. Um, I don't know which one I would pick. It would really depend on how much time I had to think about it. Yeah. Maple syrup is kind of a joke, but really I would need something (laughs) that wouldn't just be whatever fish I didn't catch because I'm an okay fisherman. Um, That's three things. Hmm. The two others, deserted island, so I, I don't know, running shoes wouldn't be good. But I would still want to hike and run on that deserted island. That's really important to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
And now I'm at the fifth one and I'm like, oh no, do I choose my spouse or my dog? So, <laughs> Dan's watching online, of course I'd pick you. <laughs> Last one. <laughs> oh, I already answered that one, that's good, okay. You all are asking about sin and redemption, that's interesting. How do you tune into your intuition? Mm. The way I do that is through meditation. It could be secular meditation. It could be uh, some type of mindfulness. I, I go through Zen Buddhism, which that's how I access those tools. And meditation allows me to really discern where I need to go in my life. Um, even sometimes simple things or the problem that I struggle with the most, which is giving a lot of things and voices and problems free rent in my head, right? Um, sometimes intuition is just clearing it all out and going with your gut. Of course, asking, will this harm anyone? Will it harm myself? All that good stuff, right? But go with your gut. Find spaces to breathe to wind down, if you commute to work, turn off NPR for a moment, or whatever you're listening to, and just breathe. Try not to yell at the person in front of you that keeps tapping their brakes. Just breathe, right? If you find a moment today, close your eyes for a second and take a deep breath. What do you discover? I feel meditation, however it's practiced, is one of the best ways to access your intuition, to access uh, where you need to discern things in your life. And it doesn't have to just be sitting on a cushion, staring into nothingness. If you do that while running, while walking, while, while playing a computer game, although I don't know about that. If you do it while just staring at a wall, if you do it while whatever activity you enjoy and feels good for you, if you can find a moment of center, meditation. Some people call it prayer. That's okay, too. And that's it. The questions that didn't get answered. Now, many people always wonder what happens with those. They'll get put into sermons later this year. I don't always say it, but they'll help me figure things out. So um, <clears throat> the person who asked about evolution, I think we'll have an evolution sermon this year. So there we go. <laughs> Thank you all. I hope you've enjoyed this week's podcast. If you would like to learn more about us, please visit our website at www.ucl.org, where you can find more information about our grounds, staff, and upcoming events. You can also subscribe to our e-news there and learn about our virtual service offerings. We'll see you next week.